you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Explained is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's going on, everyone? It is a brand new edition of NFL Explained. Mike Yam along with my Super Bowl champ, M-Rob, in the house. You feeling good today? I'm feeling excellent, Yams. I'm breathing. My family is okay. And I get to share a podcast with the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mike Yams. What's up? I I, got to learn my (laughs) lesson of asking. You are always in a good mood. It's kind of amazing. Well, because that's one thing that we have control over. We can have control over how we respond to everything. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a a good life (laughs) philosophy and and mantra that I will try to implement in my own life. But, um, you know, one thing, not only can I say you're a Super Bowl champ and the most positive person that I know, can I use another word to describe you? It's not offensive either. Okay. It's a good thing. Trailblazer. Okay, well, have you heard that? that before uh, in your past? N- well, not really. Okay, well, please I, explain. I actually think it is an appropriate title for you because I think the one that you have heard is dual threat. Oh, you, okay. you've been you've been now called I know that where you're going yeah, with you, it. You've okay. been called yes, that a couple times. Been. Dual threat quarterback. All right, I want you to rewind for a second because when you were at Penn State, you know the reality is back in 2006, we, we heard that phrase before. Like that's not something that we hadn't heard, but like you were legit dual threat. Like yeah. not just a guy who could play quarterback and run a little bit or a runner who was playing quarterback. Like you could thrive in both of those scenarios. So is that a cool title for you? If well, I call you Trailblazer? I mean, it's cool, but to me, I think dual threat turned into a negative thing. I, you get what I'm saying? And I yeah. know it's good. That, you know, they say the more that you can do, you can run, you can do this. But what happened was when you show a lot of these teams that you can run the football and you are a great runner, oftentimes they say, oh, no, let's just hand them the ball and not allow them to play quarterback. All right. So you and I are going to go through this whole identity of the dual threat quarterback, who can do what, the numbers, the whole thing. But the modernization of NFL offenses, that is our topic today here on the NFL Explain podcast. There's a ton of analysis to get to, but... What do you think the biggest influence is on what we're seeing offensively and these philosophies that have have evolved over time? Man, where do I start, Yams? It's so much here. It's so much here. When I was when I knew we were talking about this, man, my brain just got going because 
obviously everybody sees the spread system, which is in the National Football oh, yeah. League, right? Yeah. You know, when I say spread, I mean you have your five offensive linemen. Oftentimes you have a quarterback in the shotgun with a running back. Possibly the running back is split out somewhere. And you have four wide receivers or five wide receivers, all your eligibles just out and wide, right? And what's happening is the defense has to adjust. The defense has to cover guys. They have to show whether they're in zone or have to show whether they're in man. And I think this trend started from the bottom and went up. And what I mean by that is I'm I'm in youth football. Oh, yeah. I sit on the NFL Legends Youth Advisory Committee. We were charged with writing the football curriculum for all the football so that a parent, a youth football coach, can have the fundamentals of how to teach the game. And the reason why that committee was formed is because I feel, and a lot of former players feel, that we have a coaching problem in Hmm. the younger levels, in the youth levels. And what's happened, quite frankly, Mike, and I'll just just going to be frank with you bad coaching has led to and i'm talking about on the youth level has led to coaches on the youth level just saying you know what who's my best player who's the guy that can throw can run nobody can tackle who he's just that much better i'm gonna make him the quarterback he's gonna touch the ball every single time and i don't have to coach as hard and i think that formula kind of worked its way into college football and college football is a little bit more of a business. So coaches, they have to let these guys play earlier. They have to adapt to what these guys are used to from high school and little league so that they can win faster, so that these guys can play earlier. It's about recruiting and things like that. So I think coaches' jobs played a role in these offenses evolving really, really fast to keep up with the players that they were recruiting. And I think in 2017, when the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. I think it legitimized the style, meaning that spread system, meaning a bunch of RPOs, basically that backyard, that youth football being in a park style of playing football. I think that's what's happened with the modern day, especially offense. Yeah. So I think something that you're touching on is really fascinating to me because I've had this conversation a lot over the years. And it's this idea that high school football influences the college game, the college game influences the NFL game. And I think it's almost counterintuitive to how most people would think, well, the pros do it this way and then everyone else follows suit. Because it, it does feel like if we're going to talk about offenses here and spreading mm-hmm. the whole, like a lot of this stuff does start at a lesser level. Think about it, Mike. Where are you getting your players from? The NFL, their amateur system is college, sure. right? So for these guys to be able to be NFL ready and play faster, the great coaches adapt. See, and I'm, I consider myself a pretty good coach. Okay, yeah. I don't believe there's any human being walking the planet that a coach can't get through to. It's on the coach. Everybody can learn. It's on the coach. And so what you've seen, especially at the NFL level, they're saying, OK, if uh, from an ownership standpoint, I'm going to only have this job X amount of years. I got to get these guys playing as fast as possible. So what's happening is they're going into college they're dipping into these kids playbooks and saying, let's just take their playbook and let's let them play fast now so that they can come in and know what they're doing. College. Same way. I just talked about it. Right. Colleges. They're recruiting young players out of high school. So what's the best way to get them ready to play earlier? Go to their high school, see what they're doing, and implement that offense. So I get it. People are like, hey, pass happy. The numbers have to bear it out. I'll say this. You actually haven't seen a huge, massive uptick in passing rates over the last 20 years. Only one team ran it more than it passed last year. That was Philly. Yeah. 10 teams threw it at over a 60% clip. Tampa Bay, by the way, attempted passes on 66% of their plays. And that's not really surprising when you think about the amount of firepower in the NFL and the shifts to a passing game. But despite all this, we actually have seen a huge shift in quarterback formations. And 
2000, NFL quarterbacks took only 14.6% of their snaps in shotgun. That number has actually steadily increased to the point where in 2021, 65% of the snaps were taken in the gun. Like that, you watch That's these crazy. games, it's like, whoa. That's crazy. It really <laughs> is. That's actually a four-time increase. Mm-hmm. So as you might expect, and this is something that you touched on a little bit earlier in the podcast where you're pulling from your, your farm system, so to speak, is the college game. Super popular on the college level. RPO, run pass option, that has taken off. According to Pro Football Focus, RPO usage has nearly tripled since just 2016, mm. going from 8.7% of plays to 23.5% in 2021. But Emrod, we watch a lot of college football these days. Guys are rarely under center. Half the time, you don't even see guys even huddle up. Go to a high school game, that's never even happening. The change of offensive philosophy in the NFL, is it mostly due to the fact that high school quarterbacks, college quarterbacks, like, they just don't do it? Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. You talk about RPOs, man. Again, you said the shotgun formation had an uptick after 2016. I think earlier I talked about the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl and legitimizing that style of play. Again, listeners, listen up. Whoever wins the Super Bowl the year before, everybody in the damn National Football League tries to copy what they're doing. When we won our Super Bowl with the Seattle Seahawks, everybody saw that three deep defense, saw the the style at which they played, the length of the cornerbacks. And guess what? For the next five to six years, every defense in the National Football League was looking for a Richard Sherman type and playing three deep defense. So that, that, that that's just the way it goes. You also talked about the shotgun formation. I got a little confession to make, like, when I chose to go to Penn State yeah. and back in 2001, they had just introduced the shotgun formation for the first time ever in its school history in 2000 with Rashard Casey. Wow. And when I heard, like, I heard that from, you know, competing schools trying to tell me don't go don't there. Go like, there, what, yeah. Mike, what the hell, man? Joe Paterno, he's 175 years old, man. <laughs> they won't even evolve, man. Like, damn, they ain't even getting a shotgun until last year. And when you talk about the shotgun, the advantages of it is – it gives the quarterback clear vision of everything. And again, that's the most important sure. position on the field when you talk about in terms of responsibility and the things that they have to do and they touch the ball every single play. And so a quarterback being able to clearly see the adjustments of a defense because, Mike, dude, there's times when you first walk up to the line of scrimmage, you may see two safeties back on the hashes. But as you start to get into your cage and start to look around and as you do color number, color number, that second color number that you say as the snap is about to happen, those safeties start to rotate. You start to see things changing. It's a totally different picture. It totally clouds your read. And so having clear vision is very important for the quarterback. It also allows more space for when the ball is snapped for the manipulation of the pocket. And when a quarterback's in shotgun, he's typically five to six yards deep. When I take a five-step drop from the shotgun, I'm dropping back to 10, 11, 12 yards deep. It gives my tackles and my offensive linemen more room to push these guys past so I can step up in. It gives me more room to sure. step up in the pocket. So that's some of the things that come along with the shotgun position. The negatives about it, again, the, this is the running back in me happening now, is the run game. You really don't get much influence on the on the second level in the run game. So a running back, which I blocked for two Hall of Famers, in my opinion, and Frank Gore and Marshawn Lynch. These are two guys that can be in the shotgun, take the ball. Like, let's say you're a quarterback and the running back is to your left side. These are guys that are in the shotgun. They can take the ball from the quarterback using inside zone footwork, go across the midline of the offense, 
and still get back to the left side, the same side that they started, right? And only a five-yard area right there, which is, again, I know some of our listeners are like, Mike, what the hell are you talking about? That is very difficult yeah. to do. That is not a lot of people walk on this planet that can do that. But it tries to give the maximum amount of influence on the second level so that you have space to cut back. I'm going to always love to see a run game with this quarterback under center because at the end of the day, it gives maximum influence on the second level. And then when you're able to do play action passing, which in 2003, 2004, 2005, when Peyton Manning made that long reach out to Edger and James where he's reaching out the, and then he pulls it back up and stands up and Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison running across the field, those guys running wide open, that gives the maximum displacement of the second level of the defense. That's why I think under center will always be the best influence on the second level. Footwork, you just mentioned a five-step drop back. How, I mean, obviously in the shotgun, you're not worried about dropping back, so to speak. Your footwork when you're practicing and you're training and you're getting ready for games, if you know you're going to spend most of your time in shotgun and not under center, like how does that alter your footwork and your preparation? Well, again, I know for me, I was a runner. And there's a difference between a runner with passing ability, which is myself. Lamar Jackson. Sure. I will put Jalen Hurts in this category. Um, It's a difference between a scrambler who's really a passer that has movement ability. Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Steve Young when he was uh, uh, playing, those guys. So it is a little bit different. Well, I will say for runners, and you see this a little bit out of Lamar Jackson, because they're in the shotgun, their body feels like they got to move and do something. So it's weird. It was always in the shotgun throwing for me. It was always weird when I had to just stand there because the body wants to move. The body feels like I got to drop back. I got to hitch up. I got to do something. But oftentimes you got to understand that the the offensive line is just guarding that little spot right there and you got to stay there. So for runners playing the quarterback position, sometimes they have to work on their footwork a little bit more. But it does change what you're working on. And again, drop back drills, you're going to do drop back drills no matter what. It's just the launch point changes up a little bit. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the NFL Explained Podcast. Mike Am and Michael Robinson with you. So we're talking about the evolution of NFL offenses. It's important to note that that does have an effect on defenses. Yep. And there's some changes there. So the data actually shows that nickel, so we're, when I say nickel, I'm talking about five DBs, used 61% of the time across the league in 2021. The Bills... <laughs> Their fans, yeah. and I know you know all about Bills this. Stand all the way yeah, up. let's roll here. Uh, <laughs> Bills actually 91% of the time in nickel. That's the most in the league by over 10%. And we saw them actually sack Matthew Stafford in week one seven times without blitzing once the entire game. Five DBs, basically their base defense. So, M Rob, we're clearly seeing a lot of different players being drafted specifically for their skill sets on offense. But how is that affecting what's happening draft wise on the defensive side? I mean, we just talked about, I mean, we have tight ends like Travis Kelsey. We got running backs like Aaron Jones, who is probably going to end up leading Green Bay in receptions and things like that this year based off what they have on the outside. It's just the the defender has to change. It has to evolve. It's no longer the LeVon Kirklands, the big shoulder pad guys that are just banging and, and running into each other all the time. It's more like the Jeremiah Owusu Kormoros. Isaiah Simmons, the Fred Warners, the Shaq Leonard's guys that have the toughness to really mix it up and be able to share it against offensive linemen, but also have the movement ability that if this running back motions out in the slot and we're a man, like you're expected to cover this guy. Is that a divisional thing when we talk about drafts philosophy? Like if, if the team that is the best in your division is rolling out with a ton of offensive weapons in a West Coast style, yep. like then do you have to think defensively like, hey, I got a matchup. I'm playing those dudes twice a year. Like I need to figure out how to beat them. I'm building my roster according to who the best team in my division is. Well, first and foremost, every team's goal is to win your division. You win your division, you guarantee yourself home playoff games. Yeah. So to answer your question, absolutely. Whoever's won the division, you're always trying to chase and beat them. Let's take the AFC West, for instance. Kansas City Chiefs have dominated the AFC West. So if you're another team in the AFC West, i.e. Denver, i.e. the Las Vegas Raiders, the Chargers, things like that, you want to have a lot of defensive backs. That's why J.C. Jackson is now in the division. You want to have pass rushers. That's why you have Khalil Mack in the division and, and guys like that. So, yes, absolutely, Mike, to answer your question, whoever wins the division, you're always drafting to chase and beat those guys. So I asked you about footwork a little bit earlier in the podcast because I'm thinking about certain teams and what I see from them. And where I was going with it is pre-snap motion. 
you know, I spent a lot of time watching the San Francisco 49ers, seen a little bit now with Mike McDaniel down in Miami. Guys get winded before the play start, man. <laughs> Just that's all I was thinking about. Former players thinking about it like that. Damn, that's a lot of running, man. <laughs> I don't need to be running all over the place before I even get off the line. Uh, offense are actually using pre-stat motion almost four times as much as they were back in 2014. So from 4.5% to 17% over the course of the last eight years. Explain, besides being winded, what the motion is going to do for offenses and the real advantage that's there. There's 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense. That means that there's 11 one-on-one matchups, 11 people that have to be on the same page on offense and defense at the same time. Defense, I line up in eye right or whatever, which is a receiver to the right, a receiver to the left, a tight end to the right with an eye formation and backs, okay? Defense is set. They know exactly what defense they're playing. They're all good. If this running back, not the fullback, but the running back, motions out of the backfield and goes wide outside the receiver to the left, it totally unlocks the defense. Now the corner has to step out. Now the linebacker has to walk. Now the box is a little bit light. Now there's a safety that has to drop down in the box. There's a lot of communication that has to happen, and there's six gaps across the offensive line, and every gap has to be accounted for. If there isn't a gap accounted for, then usually that's six. That's how this game works. That's how great these players are. That's the chess match between the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator, right? So at the end of the day, it's all about putting maximum pressure on the defense. And so again, one motion, one shift. Um, Sean McVay is excellent at doing this, building building a formation. He may have three receivers on one side. He may motion one guy to the right, shift another guy to the right. Then before you know it, before the ball snap, he has four more people on the other side of the football forcing a defense to communicate. And again, with 11 guys having to communicate, chances are one guy will be off. And if one guy is off, that's all it's take to need to, to get a touchdown. What's it like to be a quarterback where you see things unfolding with guys moving before the snap and you know you got them? Uh, it's about holding your water, man, because yeah. you just want to snap the ball really, really fast. <laughs> just like, come on, man. Just everybody just just be cool. Just, just let the snap be good. Let the combinations get to where they want to go to. But that's what it is. You always hear people talk about this game being a game of inches. Yeah. Oftentimes, when you see a play fail, it's because 10 of the matchups were won by the offense, but on defense, this one person won their matchup and totally crashed the play. A game of inches, that's how close things are. All right, so we're taking everyone through the evolution of NFL offenses. We've been talking about some of the philosophies that have been in place, but when we come back here on the NFL Explained podcast, we're going to talk about a little bit of a hiccup in the middle of this timeline that actually involved one of the most memorable game plans in NFL history. Trust me, you don't want to miss that. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. 
There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. He came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the NFL Explained Podcast. I know I usually ask at the end of the episodes. I just want to throw this your way. Um, you get hit up on social media a lot. I know you're a little yes. bit of a, a media maven, so to speak. <laughs> I've been getting some questions from some of our listeners really? for our podcast. So okay. I do want to encourage people to keep firing them off. Little Inside Baseball here. I said I got a DM and we're going to use this in our mailbag episode. And I'm not going to lie. I think, Rob, I think you were a little jealous that someone slid into my DMs with a question. I my so. DMs, man. I'm just like, oh, or if I do, it's a bunch of haters. Why, Rob, why you say that about the Patriots or whatever? I don't, get, I don't get just great questions. No, I don't. Yeah. So, look, if you want to spread the wealth, you can feel free to hit up the real Rob uh, with yes. a DM and a question or Mike underscore Yam and happy to include those in a future episode. Love getting a lot of these questions. But right now, we're talking about the evolution of NFL offenses. And I want to hop into the time machine and take you back to 2008. Okay. The Miami <laughs> Dolphins, they weren't doing a whole lot of partying around that time. In fact, they were coming off a 1-15 in 15 season in 2007. They go to New England to take on the Patriots in Week 3. Tom Brady had torn his ACL in Game 1, so he's not playing, right? So let's pump the brakes here because people are like, oh, the Patriots lost with Brady? No, I'm playing. All right, so the Patriots, they still finished 2008, 11-5, and they had won 21 straight regular season games when the Dolphins head to Gillette. 0-2. Now, Finn's had to do something a little drastic here, right? Because you know it's the mighty Patriots. These dudes have been balling out, and they've owned us. That's what I would be saying if I was a member of that team. Toward the end of the first quarter, Miami lined up with their running back, Ronnie Brown, who was probably winning me uh, a fantasy championship. <laughs> I remember I had him on a couple of my squads. They line him up in shotgun from the Patriots' two-yard line, or as we know it, yeah, the Wildcat. He scored on a run up the middle, proceeded to shred the Patriots for 113 yards and four touchdowns. The Dolphins go from 1-15 in 2007 to 11-5 in 2008. They make the playoffs, and we're talking about one of the biggest turnarounds in league history. They ran 
almost 250 plays out of the Wildcat that year. And the Wildcat, by the way, it peaked in popularity 2009. It's still used, though. How many times do you watch a game? Oh, Wildcat formation. It happens all the time. Between 2016 and 2021, though, NFL teams averaged just under one Wildcat play a game. So maybe I need to pump the brakes. It happens. It just maybe not happening as much as I think. But they're gaining an average of 4.7 yards per play. You tell me, the inspiration here, like, how does this thing even come about? Well, first of all, just to use the Miami-New England's whole situation. Yeah. That was interesting because you got to understand who Bill Belichick is. Okay, Bill Belichick is a guy he has to be prepared for every situation. And the nature of defenses is to outnumber the offense, to have an extra defender. Why? Because, again, most defenses don't account for the quarterback. They look at the quarterback, ah, oh, he's just a, a video game player, right? He's really not real, but you know what I'm saying? So we don't really have to defend him. That's why we can keep this middle-of-the-field safety back, and we can outnumber everybody. Well, when Miami was playing New England, they realized they had to do some things to be, you know, unpredictable for Bill Belichick. Well, when you line up in the Wildcat, now the quarterback is a real threat to run the football because the quarterback now is a real runner, a running back, a, a guy that has contact balance, a guy who can read uh, blocks and things like that. And so Bill had to make a decision. Defenses that year, those couple years and still have to make a decision. Do we just willingly know we're outnumbered and keep our safety in the middle of the field? Or do we, and in the modern day times, coaches don't really want to do this, especially on defense, pull that middle of the field safety from in the middle of the field because he's the last line of defense, put him about seven or eight yards at the line of scrimmage. Do we want to put him that close? Because, again, if the runner breaks through, there's nobody back there. That's the kind of chess game that is going on when your quarterback whether it's the runner and you call it the Wildcat or the quarterback who has running ability like a Lamar Jackson, when your quarterback is a real runner, it is the epitome. And again, when Cam Newton was doing it, it is the epitome of true 11-on-11 football and it's going to always have an advantage for the offense. Why do you think it's decreased the way that it has? Well, I think it's decreased because the quarterbacks have gotten so Just, dynamic. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they can run it now. They're getting yards running the football and defenses have gotten smarter, meaning when it, usually when teams do Wildcat, their regular quarterback is split out wide somewhere, really not doing much. Well, teams aren't covering that guy now. Now they're gaining an extra defender and being able to stop Wildcat plays. All right, so let's bring it full circle here because you actually gave some love to Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray. We're talking about more athletic guys who are playing the quarterback position, also your primary ball handler. So teams must have thought to themselves, if I can create some mismatches with the Wildcat, let me just get some of these dudes, right? Yep. The problem is they don't necessarily grow on trees. No, right? they like, don't. Yeah, there's only a couple <laughs> of those guys, which is why most of them are making like 200 plus million dollars. Pay Lamar. Please, just like saying. yesterday. Statistically, <laughs> what we've seen has been a dramatic increase in quarterbacks running the ball if you include design runs and scrambling. 2009, peak Wildcat. Quarterback rushed for a total of 4,572 yards. Fast forward to 2021, quarterbacks are accounting for over 10,000 wow. rushing yards in a season. So when I say, I called you a trailblazer at the start of yeah. the show, like that is accurate. <laughs> Do you know what your numbers were when you were at Penn State? No, I don't. Okay, I'm going to tell you. You got them. You rushed for over 800 yards and passed 
for over 2,300 yards in the same season. I thought it was more than that, but it's all good. The legend in your mind as the years <laughs> yeah. go on, it just it gets just grows. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just grows, I'm, I'm with you. I played quarterback too, apparently. <laughs> I'm like 20 years removed from college. I was a baller back in the day. Um, look, I do think that there's at least some concern, right? Because we are seeing some of these guys, the Lamars and the Kyler Murrays of the world. Like these dudes have this ability that is so unique and so special. And I know it's not exactly a skill set that grows on trees like I made reference to. Are you concerned, though, about your traditional drop-back passer being a thing of the past? No, it's going to always be a place for a traditional drop-back passer. I just think we're going to be redefining what a traditional drop-back passer is. To me, the robots in the pocket, like a Tom Brady, and again, I can't really say Tom Brady's a robot because he's not, right? If Tom just had to run a 40, he'd outslow you. He'd be slow in that regard, but he's athletic in the pocket. He has mobility in the pocket. You know what I'm saying? And he very rarely takes hits in the pocket. And so I think by redefining what a pocket quarterback is, I think we have to say a pocket quarterback now has to have a little bit of athletic ability in there. I'm not, and again, I'm not saying running quarterback power or quarterback sweep or going 79 yards like Lamar Jackson or anything like that. But I do think that you have to be able to, if you run a naked bootleg and it's fourth and four, you got to be able to run for the first down if you're wide open. Okay, so I know we're talking about some scrambling quarterbacks here, and generally speaking, like you do need some mobility to play at the NFL level, especially if you're a mobile quarterback around that goal line. At the same time, we've actually seen a trend that seems to go along with how much shotgun is run and how pass happy a lot of teams are. The rate of rushing touchdowns to passing TDs has increasingly moved in favor of the latter, nearly a one-to-one ratio in 1975 to now Passing touchdowns being almost two and a half times more common than rushing touchdowns. Before the season started, we spent an entire week doing like calling it like fantasy week. This is why when we're talking about running backs, like people are like, eh, you might want to wait on a couple of those things. All right. The amount of passing and rushing yards in a game, that actually hasn't changed all that much. So how do you explain if the yardage is relatively flat, why there's such a disparity when it comes to actually how teams are scoring? Well, I just, again, it goes back to, I mean, we live in Western society, right? It, 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 our society, it's about, you know what I mean, basically being on attack mode, right? But that's that's what it's all about. And offenses are no different. Defenses are no different. Football is no different. And when you get down inside the red zone, I just think that teams are finding matchups. So let's think about this. When a team gets down into the goal line, let's call it the green zone inside the five, right? You bring in big people. Right. If an offense has big people that can catch the football, you have an advantage because now the defense is going to bring in big sure. people. And now you have that advantage. And I think just from a younger offensive coordinators, guys getting jobs, getting opportunities to call plays, guys are just more aggressive. I mean, not only just from calling plays, from even the players that they're picking, guys are more aggressive. And that trend is just going all across the National Football League. And to me, I, I like it. You know, even as a former runner, I do like it. But at the end of the day, winners of our Super Bowl, and I know we can talk about the Rams last year, they had the ability to run the football. To me, the winners of our Super Bowl still always have the ability to run the football, man. So running the football and goal line situations, you say, give me the rock and Mm -hmm. formations actually matter. And not to, you know, pick at a couple different teams, but I couldn't help but notice as I've been watching games over the last few weeks, my social media feed, my Twitter Uh timeline, (laughs) as I'm listening to Scott Hansen on Red Zone, people calling out shotgun formations 
uh, basically in goal line situations and people hating that. Do you hate that? What uh, shotgun on goal yeah. line situations? Yes. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I mean, the advantage of it is maybe, you know, the bar carrier can get the ball faster. And that way he can kind of see whether he needs to take off and jump or where he needs to cut or whatever. I can understand that message. But at the end of the day, I'm all about the ball. And to me, when the quarterback's hands are underneath the center, that's the more sure ball exchange than the ball leaving somebody's hands, being in the air for a little bit, and then somebody having to catch it with ball handling and all of those types of things. But if you're running the football on the goal line or if your quarterback is under center, to me, if you want to throw it, it's the play action that, sure. to me, gives you the biggest uh, advantage. But, you know, I wasn't a part of this Super Bowl, but the Super Bowl 49, I know I always get a lot of questions about whether Pete Carroll should have yeah. thrown the ball and things like that. If you listen to the reasoning as to why he threw it, he saw Bill Belichick put his big people out there. And that was that led to the reason of them, a part of the reason of them throwing the football. He saw the defensive coordinator basically put his chess pieces out on the board first. Okay, it's big people. They're going to be in man. Hey, what's our best man beater play? And kid just made a better play. There's a lot of different ways I, I could comment on on that. <laughs> I understand the reasoning behind it, but well, you know, some people think somebody was coaching it to get Russell to the MVP and not beast mode. You know, I hear all of these oh, things, the, the conspiracy theories. The conspiracy yeah, theories. Yeah. There are those moments, those critical down and distances, and certainly third down, fourth down, inside the three-yard line. Uh, we got some data for you. There's mm -hmm. actually a slightly better statistical outcome on run plays from under center, which is why I asked yes. you about shotgun, and it seems like you like the outcome when a quarterback is under center. Absolutely. So since we're talking about the goal line, one thing I wanted to bring up as a former fullback, we're seeing some usage tickle. Come on, man. I don't know, do me like that. Sorry, I'm just going to. Don't boom. do me like that. Okay, look, the drop. usage has gone down yeah. of the traditional run into a guy just to, you know, knock <laughs> him into box. a dude. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But, you know, you got H-backs, you got second tight ends that line up in the lead blocker position that aren't traditional fullbacks. So, look, a lead blocker is still going to be there, Yams. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. All right. I, I just just for clarification purposes, do you want to go earmuffs as I give the fullback I kind of do, but uh, I'm going to listen to you, uh, okay. just, for, just for me. 2006, 40% of the snaps taken, including a fullback. Like, that makes sense. It does. That number, 10.1% in 2021. <sighs> yeah, it is a little bit of a buzzkill. It's a dying breed in some respects, but maybe there's optimism here because the game is going to continue to evolve. Maybe the fullback comes back and it becomes Vogue, but is there something that you'd like to see or you think a trend that becomes the next, I don't know, we'll do an NFL Explained podcast in 20 <laughs> years, me and you, and we're going to be talking about this. Well, I, honestly, I think the, the game is going to positionless football. The game is going to 11 dudes up against 11 dudes. Hmm pretty much closely built the same, very fast, very athletic. Everybody can do everything. You got to understand the entire National Football League is trying to keep our guys healthier. And to me, I think that's why you're seeing a, the fullback be a dying breed. You're seeing the big, thicker, just headbuster type of a linebacker back in the day, the old culture of football. You're seeing that go away just because it's a contact sport. But the focus on player health has just changed the dynamics of the game. And so, yeah, I, I don't think lead blockers will go anywhere, but I do think, yeah, the thumpers will be totally gone. 
You were in Birmingham, and I know that the NFL is trying to get, and I think we all hope we see it flag football as an Olympic sport. I'm speaking it into existence. This is going to be an Olympic sport. You know, what I found fascinating was I remember doing the hit with you on on Total Access, and then you came into studio, and you had said, like, there are some really talented players. Now, they might not be NFL players, but there might be some NFL players that couldn't do flag football. Like, as you said, positionalists, football, like, I'm just thinking about sheer athletes that are just out there. Absolutely. And let's be honest. I mean, football, it's an athletic game, right? Flag football, a game. How do you train for football? You train for football by playing football. Yeah. I can see guys in the National Football League using flag football to train in the offseason and still get their movement in as well uh-huh. while playing the game of football. All right. As my dual threat quarterback, that is you. Who is your favorite dual threat quarterback? Favorite dual threat quarterback, like of all time? Yeah. Is there a guy? Because I actually have a guy that I'm thinking of that I'm only bringing it up so I can mention his name in this (laughs) podcast because I actually think Michael Vick is in a lot of ways. When we talk about the evolution of NFL offenses, I'm like, yo, man, like people were talking about, oh, he can't last because he's going to take too many hits. And now all these quarterbacks are running like Vick did. Yeah, man. Vick, Vick, he had to be one of my favorites. Yeah. He was one of my uh, hosts when I went on my visit to Virginia Tech. We both out of the state of Virginia. His high school never went to the playoffs, though. You know what I'm saying? Verona, my high school, we still beat up on them schools down there in the 757. But uh, yeah, I guess I would have to say Michael Vick, man. Um, I I never really thought about it like that because, again, I love Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Lamar, I love Lamar Jackson because he's a runner at yeah. the position. And again, that's what I was when I say when I mean by runner guys, you don't see Lamar Jackson take big hits because he has the runner's instinct. Slippery man. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. If if Brett Favre was running the football, he would take, take a the hit. big hits because yeah. he doesn't have the runner's instinct. So yeah, I would have to say Mike Vick, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, have you seen that NFL Legends thing that we do here? Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Vick and Lamar, dude. I. I have man, they, have, they did, have they did it? They did it. I have not seen and it. And it's awesome. Oh, I got to go check that you, one out. I, I, it's one of the first times when I've watched those pieces where I sit there and I just focus and I'm just watching these dudes interact. Well, it's and, really cool. And I think what's, what's interesting about it, and our listeners will understand this, when you're literally the fastest, most dynamic, most athletic human on the field at any given time, and you're the quarterback, you get the ball every single play, it takes a tremendous amount of responsibility not to just say, you know what, guys, <laughs> we're just going to put 10 guys on the line yeah. of scrimmage. Yeah. I'm going to get the ball and I'm just going to. It does. Like, I remember Joe Paterno telling me, like, Mike, what are you throwing it for? You're the ultimate check down. Just run the dang ball. <laughs> yeah. And I always hear his voice every time I think about dual threat quarterback. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it really is remarkable. Uh, no one better to hang with to do these episodes than you, Mike Rob. Always appreciate it. I know I mentioned this earlier. If you got a question, don't know how to find the answer. We got a whole staff here. We got a team that can get yes. you that answer. You can slide into uh, my DMs at Mike <laughs> underscore Yam. You can send some shade towards Real and Rob, ready oh, to rock man. and roll. Mike <laughs> Rob, always good to be with you, man. That is the evolution of NFL offenses explained. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, 
you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how three 20-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.